0: I comforted her for about 10 minutes before I talked to that stupid cop, and he's like, this is an overdose. I said, no, it isn't. I was like, Greg was here.
1: Police wouldn't call the death suspicious until months after the fact. But on the February afternoon, when Martha Agnew was found dead, her family knew better.
0: I was like, he did this, it's Greg Agnew, and a beautiful redheaded cop came up, and she heard me saying that, and she asked, and she went in, and she was out within two seconds, and said, "Who's your, who's that in there?" I said, "That's Martha Agnew, Martha Waters." It's a red-haired officer that knew of his past and okay. and sealed everything, and um, and we just waited.
1: This is Michigan Crime Stories.
0: Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the mitten state.
1: Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed.
0: We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds.
1: Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline.
0: But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people just
1: like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyard.
0: My name is Darcy Moran.
1: And this is John Counts.
0: We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories.
1: This episode is part three of a multi-part special on MLive's investigation into the disappearance of Tammy Niver and the death of Martha Agnew, as told by host and reporter on the story, Darcy Moran. If you haven't listened to the first episodes, you may want to start there. We left off discussing Gregory Agnew, the suspect in the 1993 disappearance of his ex-girlfriend Tammy Niver. This episode will look into the death of Martha Agnew, his wife. This episode is titled, Until Death Do Us Part.
0: Martha Agnew usually wasn't late. In fact, she was often early. That's why her daughter, Kristen McGeorge got up a few hours in advance of her mom's slated arrival to pick up her grandson at 11 a.m., February seventeenth, 2018. But Martha Agnew never showed up. Here's Kristen McGeorge with her sister, Michelle Singh. There's something wrong with mom. There's something wrong.
1: Like, I didn't go check on it. There's something wrong. And when I got there, I saw a car. I knew that there was something wrong. She is telling me, Mom's dead. I
0: think mom's dead. I think something's wrong. I mean, that bad. Growing up in the Ypsilanti area, Martha Agnew, then Martha Waters, was a protective big sister. That's according to her sisters, Donna Shaw and Sheila Soboleski. She went to Catholic school, a local high school, and community college before eventually getting her degree in criminal justice from Eastern Michigan University. She wanted to work as a parole officer, but eventually went into marketing, before becoming an SAT essay grader down the line. Like Tammy Niver, Martha was a young mom. She had her eldest child not long after graduation with her high school sweetheart, whom she briefly married. That's where the name McGeorge comes from. She was a devoted mom, bubbly and endlessly kind. She was known for her famous banana pudding and her ability to strike up a conversation anywhere she went. Her she thing. accepted everybody, accepted everybody. everyone, no matter what didn't matter, how, what, their, what they looked like, what they were what wearing, how they talked. And she was
2: every live, one of our friend's, friends moms. Yeah. I mean, all of our friend's, our friends mom, hey, mom, our friends oh, lost mom.
1: A, a mom, too. You know, we, we lost our mother, obviously, but she, she was, was a there. She really yeah. was, and you don't, you know, I sometimes
0: you don't realize how people are in your life, but then you... Lose them in such a way, yeah. and you
2: realize yeah. yeah. what a was they
0: were. Yeah. There wasn't a better person. She and Greg were together for about 25 years. As we told you in a previous episode, the couple got married in 2014, shortly after police had tried to arrest Gregory Agnew for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, Tammy Niver. In fall 2017, however, Gregory Agnew filed for a divorce. He accused her of cheating. She accused him of domestic abuse the night she left. Both denied the other's allegations. We were unable to substantiate other claims made by Martha Agnew's family. Either way, they were glad to see the relationship end. Yeah, she she was, was happy. She was free. She looked the healthiest she she'd ever looked in her entire life when she finally walked darkness. away from him. So great. She had, yeah, she had... I've never felt more safe and she lost
2: some every weight, she was healthy, her face was
0: clear. But in January 2018, something odd occurred. As court dates for the divorce drew closer, Gregory Agnew posted photos and video on Facebook of the couple's wedding years before. In the photos, you could see Martha Agnew beam in a purple dress while holding white flowers. In a video, you could see Greg Agnew swoop in to kiss and hug her at the end of the ceremony. For a number of reasons, Martha's sisters were worried. Greg Agnew had access to the home where Martha was living. You see, the divorce case was still going, and a judge had ordered the pair split access to two residences in Ypsilanti Township's West Willow neighborhood. Gregory Agnew was granted access from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. daily to the Eugene Street address, provided by insurance in wake of a fire at a marital home. Martha Agnew had access overnight, but she stayed with her daughter instead. That is, until a few weeks before her death. Like I said earlier, Kristen McGeorge had expected to see her mom that day on February 17th. When she didn't arrive and didn't pick up her phone, Kristen went looking for her. She tried to get into the Eugene home, and she started calling Greg to let her in. After some back and forth, he eventually arrived and unlocked the door. So I ran straight in. Okay. I did
1: sort of like I while I was running in, but still I saw the TV was on. There was a blanket on the couch. Um the there wasn't coffee yet. And but still I still just ran straight to the room that I knew she slept in. Yeah.
0: that's when she saw what her I mom saw? and turned around and ran back out. So in that room and then you you got out of that. Yeah, I well, I fell there. in
1: the kitchen that's when Dad's I called when her mm-hmm. and then that's when my dad grabbed me and we we, we both went outside he so ran. he
0: carried you out no he didn't carry me
1: out he grabbed me mm-hmm. he picked me up and then we both went out and then that's I was on the phone 9 um I was trying to call while I was walking out and he got in his truck and left
0: left her there with her mother's body 49 year old Martha Agnew was dead Police were called about 1.45 p.m. that day. Family was called, too. It's always there.
2: (laughs) It doesn't go away.
1: The The whole guard, all I'm saying is my mom, my mom, my
0: mom, my mom. I couldn't even talk to you. All I talked to was man. I talked to you when you were in shock, and you yelled, no, no, Donna, no. (laughs) And my I, husband said i kept saying no no, no we'll this didn't it. happen yeah, he'll
1: get it you no. know
0: he did it no. we know he no. did it there were needles at the scene which explains why police initially thought it was an overdose but months later the medical examiner ruled the death a homicide the cause strangulation martha agnew did have heroin and fentanyl in her system but she also had blunt force injuries and defensive wounds on her hands That's according to the same detectives who'd tried to arrest Gregory Agnew years before. The same ones he'd sued. Here's John Counts again.
1: Detective Craig Reisinen would tell a judge that Gregory Agnew's DNA was under Martha's fingernails and on a syringe collected at the scene. Agnew was arrested within hours that same day, July 26th, by Detective Michael Babich and U.S. Marshals. At a later court appearance, a prosecutor and a defense attorney would spar over details of the death and arrest.
2: Uh, the reality is, is that this was a premeditated first-degree murder that was conducted by Mr. Agnew with the intent of having it appear as though it was a drug overdose. All of those, uh, thankfully, the Michigan State Crime Lab was able to process the scene and they uncovered uh, the evidence of the staging as well as uh, using their scientific techniques, were able to uh, uncover also uh, the amount of blood that was cleaned up at the scene. After this incident, Your Honor, and I mean Im- immediately after uh, Ms. Agnew's body being located, Mr. Agnew disappeared, and the law enforcement was unable to locate him for at least three days. Th- this defendant took elaborate steps to conceal his... Location, including disp- disposing of his cell phone, uh, replacing that cell phone, using a uh, separate SIM card. So he's obviously skilled uh, in, in the, uh, the methods that the police would use to try to track him. The fact that he was, quote, missing for two or three days, what he was it was in a state of shock recovery. He didn't go anywhere. He was arrested where he was either his home or in the area. He was there, he didn't flee. And as I indicated, just paid the real estate taxes a day or two before he had no intention of going anywhere.
1: Gregory Agnew's attorney, Ronald R. Gold, has questioned why it took so long for police to bring charges against his client if they had such strong evidence. He also said it's not unusual for a wife to have her husband's DNA on her. He said, quote, I'm telling you that either there's an explanation for it, or it's very suspicious in my mind, suspicious on the police officer's end.
0: As of the publication of this episode, on October 8th, 2018, Gregory Agnew's case was still going through the court system. He's charged with open murder and is being held without bond. Despite pleas of innocence, Martha Agnew's family still believes their once-beloved stepfather killed their matriarch. When asked why, they said this. Because she was scared of him because she told me that. I mean the history with Tammy. She was friends with Tammy. I'm going to go there. We'll go there next time on Michigan Crime
1: Stories. Hey there, this is uh, John Counts with Michigan Crime Stories. I'm sitting here with Darcy Moran once again and regional editor Sarah Scott. How's everybody doing today?
0: Good, thanks, John. I'm great. Thanks, John.
1: All right, so we just heard episode three of the Tammy Niver, Martha Agnew, Greg Agnew saga. Lots of ins and outs with this case, obviously. Uh, My first question that I had after after taking a listen to this was that they had a kind of unique relationship, and you kind of explored it a little bit. But it's it sounded like they were together for a very long time, but only married at the end. There, so what do you kind of know about that? Why didn't they get married earlier on? Or like, what you know, just explore the nature of their relationship a little more.
0: Yeah, so that is an interesting question. They were together a very long time, um, about 20 years at the time that they got married. Um, Part of my understanding of that is, like, Greg lived elsewhere part of the time. I also know that Martha, for a time, lived with her parents or dad and took care of him at the end of his life. I think that may have gotten in the way of moving the relationship forward, perhaps. I feel like that's what was suggested by family somewhat. But, you know, it sounds like a normal, loving family for the most part, and we certainly heard that in the previous episode. Did hear about some fights that would occur between Greg and Martha, but nothing that we could really substantiate and nothing that turned violent. The only allegation of any any violence amongst them was you know, that suggestion of an incident in the 90s that we discussed in the last episode where there were charges at the same time that the prosecutors uh, never went forward on. Not a lot of information on that, but that typically indicates there may have been an assault. And then right at the very end, when Martha left Greg and he then filed for divorce, there was an allegation of domestic violence at that point.
1: Right. And so they had kind of a unique living situation right after they were divorced in that they had two different houses in the same neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And I should actually clarify, they were still going through the divorce proceedings. So they were not officially divorced at the time of Martha's death. She was still technically his wife. But yes, during those divorce proceedings, while everyone's kind of quibbling and fighting over who's got what property, who gets to live that, where, there then comes in this kind of odd scenario where a judge says, well, you'll get the same house for part of the day, and you'll get the same house for the other part of the day. That's very odd. That's not something I have ever seen before. Is that something you've ever Sarah heard Sarah and of? I are
1: both making confused faces and <laughs> yes. that we've never yeah. heard that uh, before. Yeah,
0: I would agree that that's a very unusual situation.
1: And... One of the houses burned, is that correct?
0: Yes. And what,
1: do we know anything about the fire?
0: I believe in the court records I've looked at, it was a suggestion that that was an electrical fire.
1: And tell me a little bit about the the neighborhood where this happened. This is in Ipsy Township. This is West Willow, correct?
0: Yes. So, um, for the people that don't know this area, don't know Ipsilanti Township, um, West Willow is a little neighborhood within Ipsilanti Township. It is just east of Ipsilanti proper and it is kind of a, an interesting area, as John, you can speak to. We've covered a lot of crime there, have we not? We have.
1: It's a, it's a high crime area of Ypsilanti Township.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you can explain a little bit too, because you've covered that area even longer than I have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been out there walking the streets, knocking on doors after at least two or three different homicides. There's a lot of uh, drug-related activity in the neighborhood. They're kind of Smaller houses, mo- a lot of rentals in the area, a lot of uh, abandoned houses, that 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 kind of stuff. There's still some good people that live there. I've spoken with them plenty Absolutely. of times, but um.
0: And actually, some of our colleagues used to live there there themselves. So right. we we you know nothing against that area. There's great people that live there, but sure. we certainly have covered our fair share of crime in that neighborhood, and it is not unusual to have deaths or suspicious situations or police activity there. That's,
1: you know, just kind of the set, set the scene for where this, where this body was found, right?
0: Yeah. So, Darcy, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, so we know that Martha and Tammy are connected through Greg Agnew. Uh, but do we have a sense for how well Martha and Tammy might have known each other? Well, spoiler alert, we are going to talk about that plenty in the last episode. Um, I can confirm, and we said here at the end that they did know each other, but just how much? Well, Greg Agnew certainly knew both of them, and uh, we'll start there.
1: I I had the same question. (laughs) Wow, great (laughs) minds. (laughs) Great And uh, for a a final question, where is this case as of – we're recording this today on October 4th. So where is Gregory Agnew in the criminal justice system today?
0: Greg Agnew's case um, has been set and then rescheduled several times for a preliminary examination. And what that is, for those that don't know, is um, it's one of the first parts in the court process where they determine whether or not there is enough evidence for this to move ahead to circuit court.
1: It's kind of like a a little mini trial where the judge presides as the decider of...
0: exactly very well well put and they have detectives and witnesses and everyone come forward and give testimony so it's a very important part of the process and when we hope to learn uh, a lot more about what's going on here and like i said that has been rescheduled several times it was actually supposed to take place uh just a week ago and i had hoped to share even more details with you guys on it but uh, unfortunately they have rescheduled it yet again
1: so just to kind of recap, he's been arrested. He's charged with just open murder. He's charged
0: with open murder.
1: He's charged with open murder, and they're still waiting to do the preliminary examination, which in a lot of cases, they'll just kind of waive and he'll go up to circuit court. But they could have witnesses testify at this preliminary examination.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, in the meantime...
0: Um, I actually, one more thing, if I could cut in. Um, Go for it. So, sorry to cut you off there. So one thing that was uh, brought up to me, a question from uh, the last episode. We talked a little bit in the Q and A session about FOIA's, but I wanted to break down really briefly what that is because I believe we just use the term FOIA instead of the full name Freedom of Information Act. And, Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Oh, well, we spend a lot of time with FOIAs, <laughs> or Freedom of Information Act requests, um, and these are uh, formal requests for public records, public documents. So we file a lot of FOIAs with police departments, with city hall, various government bodies, and our, our goal really is to sort of, you know, get at um, the specific details of crimes, and kind of really help round out the story for our readers.
1: Well, it's certainly been a complex case, and we're going to continue to tell you the whole story about it in the next episode, which will be our final episode, right?
0: Yes, our final episode for this season of Michigan Crime Stories.
1: All right. Well, I'll cap it off and say goodbye.
0: Yes, thank you, (laughs) and thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you.
1: All right, until next time.
0: Thanks to Martha Agnew's family and Ronald Gold for speaking with us. And thanks to you for listening. If you have any questions about the story of Tammy Niver or Martha Agnew ahead of our next installment, feel free to give me a shout at dmoran at MLive.com. We may read and answer your questions on the next episode. Again, that's d-m-o-r-a-n at MLive.com. I'm Darcy Moran, and this is Michigan Crime Stories. Mm
1: Next, on the season finale of Michigan Crime Stories.
0: It was our dad's car that Martha was borrowing that was found at the scene. The police came to her house that morning mm-hmm. and they
1: knocked on the door. Stay tuned.